Getting hitched? There's a podcast for that, and you're listening to it. The Save the Date Wedding Podcast, the number one podcast about all things wedding-y. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, bride chillers and groom chillers who I've yet to properly name. Maybe we'll just stick with groom chillers, I don't know. I'm Alicia, the host of the Save the Date Wedding Podcast. Welcome to new listeners. If you are planning a wedding, if you're looking for solutions, if you're looking to not freak out, to save a little bit of coin along the way, this is the wedding podcast for you. I'm very happy to be doing another Q&A Thursday episode where I answer your wedding planning questions so much to get through, so I'm not even going to waste any time. No anecdotes this week. I'm getting straight into it because it's coming up to the end of the year. Maybe you're listening to this another time, but if you're listening when this show's released, it's coming up to the end of the year. And I feel when we hit engagement season, that is in a couple of weeks, I'm probably going to get a lot more questions. So I'm trying to pump through the questions now so we can start the year afresh with a whole lot of new other emails about other people's questions, problems, issues, conundrums, themes, topics, suggestions. That's what people send me, and I'm delighted. The first question slash, well, this is more of an overview. I love getting sort of long, big emails with lots of different sections, and this one from Annie uh, in Virginia, US, the USA, United States of America. America. She wrote to me uh, recently, and I always say, if you're going to send me an email, one thing that really helps and I love to know is where you listen to me and how you found me. That is the golden question that I would love to have answered because I don't really have a big marketing team. The marketing team is me and sometimes my husband, Richard. And uh, it's good to know where you found me so we can find more people like you and spread the save the date word. So Annie, <laughs> I love that she says, I listen to the podcast whilst commuting, although I do that by car, not public transport. Fine. Good. And house cleaning, sorry to say, that includes scooping kitty litter. Has anyone ever told you they listen while cleaning up cat poop? I hope not. Well, you have, and I love you for it. you got to keep it clean. Feces free is where I'm at. Now, she said that she's a lover of all things Aussie, and she'd like to request that I please bring back the Australianisms. I love that you love that. No one sort of mentioned that for a while, so I sort of didn't do it. I promise you, in my next upcoming episodes, I will do some Australianisms. And here's why. I'm heading back to Australia for Christmas, the holiday season, and I will get some Australianisms actually in Australia by Australians. How about that? That is so authentico, it hurts. She also says, which made me really giggle, recently I was watching Four Weddings Australia on YouTube. Now, she said they used the word bogan several times in response to a country-style wedding. And I know the episode, which is, I'm ashamed, but I do know the episode. She said, I'm going to assume that's equivalent to the American word redneck, yes? I have covered, actually, if you go past, uh, and if you go back in the Australianisms, I do cover bogan. It is the word for redneck, totally. But here's where it's great. She said, by the way, those ladies on the show were super nasty. I was shocked. I know the whole purpose of four weddings is to be judgmental, but these women took it to the 10, so to speak. Have you seen this? Thoughts. Okay, Annie, Australians, even though we sound sort of nice and relaxed, we can be total assholes. I'm going to be honest with you. And our reality TV is brutal. I've worked in it before. 
and uh, I worked on a dating show. I'm not even going to say what it is because we don't need to explore into my career that much, but I have worked in production on a reality TV show. And sometimes in this dating show, the girls that were contestants on the show would have cut a bitch to win and they'll say anything. And it feels like the American reality show, the, the scripted stuff, fine, but the ones where they're asking people to be genuine and real, there are people that know how to be on on television and what they need to be saying, but really you don't get the level of bitchiness that you can get in Australia and also British. The British reality TV, they're sort of scathing in a polite way. But Australians, yeah, we can be pretty hardcore. If you don't know what Four Weddings is, basically it's a show where they split, well, it's four weddings, Ugh. You get four weddings, contestants are brides, they go to each other's weddings, it's pretty strange, and then they rate the wedding in a sort of scoring situation, an anonymous scoring situation, and the winner, the person that is deemed to have the best wedding, gets to go on a dream honeymoon. And so this leads to really bitchy, terrible behavior and, you know, it's sort of strange. It goes against everything I say about obligation guests. I don't know if obligation guests include reality TV contestants, but it can be really funny. And I just wanted to provide you with an example of this bitchiness. This is mild bitchiness. I've just found an audio clip here talking about one of the contestants' dresses. Now, she happened to, before, before the wedding, boast that she'd spent $3,000 on a wedding dress. And in that episode, that was the most expensive dress they featured. So that's the most expensive dress. Kathleen's dress was <sighs> meh. As someone who's tried on over 200 wedding dresses, I would never have tried on that actual dress because it looks like every other dress there is. And that was sort of like one of the nice comments. I could have spent an hour cutting together a montage of them just being total pricks to each other, but I've got better things to do with my life. Annie, thank you for watching that. If you want to check it out, there is a whole series of that shit on YouTube and it's worth a laugh. It really is. And also just to see a bunch of Australian bogans and their big poofy dresses and uh, here in the rural Australian accent. Sometimes I think because I've been in the, the UK for a couple of years, although outsiders would say, oh, she's got quite a strong Australian accent. I think mine is refined slightly because when I watch those shows, I'm like, oh, whoa, that is super ochre. Ochre, again, that's an Australianism, just pretty rough, pretty full on. Annie continues her wonderful email saying, thank you for the recommendations of Canva.com, C-A-N-V-A. I made a super cute invite in about 10 minutes for the cost of zero dollars, she writes in capitals. It was fabulous. I'll have to pay to get it printed, of course, but the design was so easy and quick and totally customizable. Win, win, win. However, I will say due to your accent, or is it due to my lack of accent, I wasn't 100% sure that the website was Canver, and I spent a lot of time trying to find it. <laughs> And Google returned a bunch of results. The word, <laughs> God, sorry. Google returned a bunch of results for the word cancer, which was a bit of a bummer. Finally, I found it. Thank you so much. So let's spell it out again. <laughs> sorry, I've already read this email and that still makes me laugh. C-A-N-V-A, Canva, with a V. And actually, Canva is a wonderful website, um, I do all of my show production imagery. So if you go to um, the website and you see a little show image where I put the text on top of it, all of that is done within Canva. It's like the cheater's version of Photoshop. I've got Photoshop. It takes extra time. And Canva is one of those things where you can drag and drop 
pre-designed imagery, pre-designed great fonts, and they've got all these sort of greater, sort of stencily pretty things. Lots and lots of very cheap um, photos, production stills and, and stuff if you want to use that. And uh, it's colourful, easy, download it into any shape, size, form you like. I've done some really high-spec um, Photoshop-style designs, and I've done some really quick, easy, exactly what uh, Annie's saying, really quick, easy designs where I've just smacked it out and it's done. So it is free to use. The only time you pay money on Canva is when you use their stills, their production photos. So they are talking about things like, um, it's a dollar basically to buy a photograph. But if you're just doing a, a, a wedding card, an RSVP, a save the date, some sort of menu, all this sort of stuff. It is a, it is a free situation and I cannot encourage you enough to go and visit it. I have no affiliation with Canva. I'm just a fan and I'm also delighted because they're an Australian company and they're going off. You can see a lot of big name bloggers, um, and people in the small business world are really touting the success of Canva and what they can provide to you. And it's great. It really is. So if you haven't checked it out and you're looking to do a little bit of graphic design, even if it's not your main deal for your wedding, maybe you are doing, maybe you're a maid of honor and you're doing hens or bachelorette party invites. There's lots of pre-designed things that make you look really good at graphic design with very little skills. <laughs> Take it from me. Graphic design is not really where my interests lie. And if I can do something quickly and get, get it out there, I will do it. Annie continues. I love that. I'm, I mean, sometimes I just cut up emails. Like I just read little bits, but this was such a good email. There's so many different points to it. I couldn't help but share the whole thing. She says, here's my question with backstory. I love it. How do you feel with changing your own mind about your wedding? Or to use a phrase from the South, hey y'all, coping with eating crow. Eating crow, I would say. Oh God, I love doing a Southern accent. Gosh, I could do it all day. Eating your own words, proving yourself wrong, uh, so on, so on, so on. When I got engaged, my partner and I were that annoying couple who were always saying things like, we'll never spend that much money on a wedding. And oh, we can do it for 3K easy. I had a lot of ideas about what I wanted and what I didn't want. As planning has gone on, being engaged a year, getting married in 2016, May, the budget has been revised several times to about 10,000 US dollars because we want to be good hosts and we want our guests to have a great time. And well, that's what it's costing. Fine. Another example would be my dress. I went in to buy a dress knowing I wanted a lace dress with sleeves, no train, and nothing puffy or princessy. I think that should be if I would go to a wedding dress shop that said, we stuck nothing puffy or princessy. I ended up purchasing an A-line ball gown with a chill skirt train and strapless beaded bodice, and I look and feel absolutely divine in it. Great. All these things make me feel a little weird inside, like my wedding has become something I never intended it to be. Even though I'm happy with our choices and they were made for the right reasons, I feel embarrassed that I was so outspoken about not doing this or not having that and turned right around to do all of those things. I'd love to hear your insight on dealing with the negative self-talk that I failed at my own wedding vision or I gave in to wedding nonsense. You are awesome, and so is your podcast. Thank you for being you and for all that you do. Love, Annie. I mean, gosh, 
What a killer end. So, Annie, thank you for your email. That was fucking cracking, by the way. Really cracking. And let's talk about this. When I read your email the first time, I was like, wow, you have said so much that I want to talk about because I feel really strongly about this idea that you think you're letting yourself down. Now, my real feeling, and I've said this so many times, if you have $50,000 that you want to spend on a wedding and you can afford to spend $50,000 on a wedding, go spend the money. We all find value in different things. We all have a different perspective of what is good value for money, what our working life is worked for, what we choose to spend our money on, how much we work, how hard we work, where we live, how much rent we pay, what sort of mortgage we have. Everyone is different. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different expectations. We use that word so much in this podcast because it varies. And also my expectations of what you would get for $10,000 compared to what your expectations are might be completely different. I'm sure they're completely different. We spent about, I reckon in the end, about 15 grand on our wedding. We wanted to spend 10. We got some really good deals. And that was like, I mean, I went down to the last cent of adding things up. I would have said, about $10,000. But then when we said, all right, we, we put in some money for the, obviously the honeymoon, there were extra expenses. Like even we added stuff up down to the petrol going back and forth to our venue. Cause it was an hour and a half out of the city. And to me, that was a shit ton of money that we had saved our asses off to pay for. We didn't get any sort of loans and we didn't borrow money. We had a bit of lovely, generous contributions from our parents, but that wasn't a lot. And I too suffered with exactly what you're talking about. I, I would have thrown up if we had spent twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. And I have friends that have spent way upwards of that. And I don't think as we truly know that a money, the amount of money that you spend on a wedding has anything to do with the enjoyment. I truly believe, Annie, if you had spent the three grand you'd said originally, your guests will have just as great time as they're going to have with your $10,000 wedding. But that is not to say that you need to beat yourself up about spending the extra. If you have found a dress that you said makes you feel so good, if you know that the wedding entertainment or the food is up a notch for what you expected to get for your money, great. I can say 100% of the people listening to this podcast right now nod your head if you agree. When they first started wedding planning, and they put aside their budget, whatever they had chosen to spend or expected to spend, and then they actually go out and started to shop around, they would have all gone, oh my God, what? How much is it? What's it going to cost? Do, what? I don't think so. This is the reality of this industry, unfortunately, is everything costs shit tons more than you'd expect it originally. Your budget either doubles and then you have to go and cut things out because you're like, well, I can't do that. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to spend that money on that. Or you end up saying, well, I would choose to buy a more expensive dress because I really want it and I might not hire cars or I will hire cars and we will go into debt or borrow some money. Again, I do not advocate going into debt for a party, but if that is your prerogative, totally cool. I do believe you seem to have well, I, I'm reading from it. I'm just judging from an email. You seem to have your head screwed on with what you want to spend and your expectations of the day. Allah, you want your people to have a good time. You want to have a good time, more importantly. And yeah, okay. At the beginning, the all the talk, as you said, 
the big talk about, oh, I don't want to spend a lot of money. Fine. Here's the thing. You don't have to tell anyone how much money you're spending. Actually, I think I encourage brides and grooms just to shut their mouths about what they're spending, the money. Because to be honest, I don't think anyone else wants to hear about it. If you are spending over your budget, keep it in the vault. Lock it. Throw away the key. There is no need to spread the word about what you uh, thought you were going to spend, unless you want to. But I'm saying if you don't want to come back and, and have to, as you say, what's the expression? I need to go back to the email to read this. This is a very Southern expression. Eat and crow. If you don't want to go back and having to, you know, talk about it, fine. Don't. I truly believe anyone that would have listened to you say, this is ridiculous, uh, we can do it for $3,000 easily. And if they've done it, they probably know you're speaking shit anyway, because it's pretty hard to do it for that amount of money. Not impossible, but certainly difficult. A challenge, I would say. I feel more, Annie, with what you're saying as well as announcing it to everyone that you're not going to spend a lot of money and it's ridiculous. I Look, I mean, I'm with you. You've obviously listened to the wedding podcast. You know that I have strong feelings about the way that the industry pressures brides and grooms to feel like they need to spend that sort of money, like crazy money. Every year, they talk about the uh, the knot, put out an annual um, average of what people spend. And that gets picked up by international media. It's always about $30,000. Like you'll hear in Monday's episode, I'm talking to the wonderful Ginger from the blog Girls Just Want to Have Funds. She's been on the show before. It's all about empowering women to work with their money and to be more positive with the money, get out of debt. And I really mentioned in the interview that I think this, this median look at the wedding industry, what we're spending is sort of bullshit because with them promoting this idea that we all spend $30,000, which we don't, it sort of drives up the expectations that that's what we're supposed to spend. I know this is sort of subversive, but, and I am not a statistician, I do not have any input into how they do that survey, but I know that they use the word average which sort of worries me because uh, if you are doing a national survey in a size, the country, the size of America, and you know if you're sitting in, I don't know, if you're sitting in LA, the price of your wedding or New York is a better example. The price of a wedding in New York is going to be a lot more expensive than a wedding in, I don't know, Chicago, probably not a good example. I Idaho, somewhere like that. So if you're going to then average it, if you go, oh, a New York wedding is going to be 70 grand and an Idaho wedding is going to be 15 grand and we're going to get to some middle point, which is $40,000. That's me doing maths in my head. I'm sorry if that's wrong, but that's not really a good way to say a national average. My point is then that that number gets bandied about. And I also think underhandedly people think, well, that's what everyone else spends. So that's cool. So by doing that, everyone thinks that that's normal. And I don't think that is. So that's a long way to say it, Annie, but I don't think you should be beating yourself up for getting out there and making these big statements. I also think it's nice. You made the statements. You could have said, I'm not going to spend $20,000. You know, I mean, you've kept it down. Really, you're under the bullshit national average, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I love that you're aware of this. I love that you don't want to be that bride that's going around going, I spent $30,000 on my wedding. You're not doing any of that. And you're you're concerned about being a big mouth. Don't worry. I'm a professional big mouth. I do it all the time. Final thoughts are I do not think 
you have failed in any way. I don't like you using that sort of language. So let's remove it from the vocab. And I also don't think that your wedding vision, I think your wedding vision evolved as most times it does. You're planning a huge event. And by no means are we experts the first sort of six months of planning this thing. How many people out there listening have actually planned an event like a wedding before? I reckon not many. Not many. It's not like a normal thing to do. It's a big event. Things get out of hand. You clearly haven't, that hasn't happened for you. You're clearly on track. You know what you're doing. You've allowed yourself to spend extra in areas that you want to spend. That's cool. As long as you're on top of it, you shouldn't be answering to anyone, let alone the inner voice. You tell it to shush from me. Thanks for your awesome message, Annie. You're a lovely, lovely listener, and I appreciate all your kind words and also that you uh, enjoy my Australianisms. That really makes me happy. Please can I ask, if you do purchase a bride shiller t-shirt, a tote, one of the other things that I'm selling, so many, actually, I'm coming up with lots of good fun totes. There's one recently that just says, I'm getting hitched, bitch. I like it. It's fun. It's very silly. But if you do buy them, please When you're wearing them, take a photo and tag me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. I would love to see you in the top, wearing the tote, carrying some shopping, whatever you need to do. I really feel like that's the the sweet spot, the money shot, I was going to say, which is a terrible... You don't need to hear the money shot. That's an ejaculation thing. We don't need to hear that. But I really want to see you in the item. It would make my day. So... There you go. I've made that a bit of a gross thing when I was supposed to be just asking nice, nice favors from you. This is what you listen to the show for. Clearly, that's why it's popular. This next question is from Rachel. She says, my fiance, Hayley, and I are getting married next June in a beautiful woodsy state park. Oh, sounds divine. We've been together for six years. We're friends for two years before that and have been living in my hometown for the last four years. Do you get that? Together for six Friends for two years before that, living in the hometown for four years. Great. Long story short, this is not even a long story, so she's doing very well. Many of my best friends are now also very close to Haley. I don't want to lay claim to our mutual friends and have them just be my bridesmaids. I'm looking for logistical advice on how to handle our communal wedding party. Where will everyone stand? Should we choose maids of honours? Should we each choose maids of honour? Gosh, that's my own grammar. My own mind's messing that up. Any advice on potentially prickly friends who feel closer to one of us than the other? Thank you, Rachel. Rachel, congratulations on your engagement. And I love that my same-sex friends are listening to this show. Fucking great. Um, This is a really great question. I am stoked, and I had not thought about this before, so I've had to do a little bit of workshopping in my own brain. Now, I'm a great believer that the bridal party can be whatever the hell you want it to be. I have my very good friend, Dan, as my maid of, <laughs> I was going to say my maid of honor, my man of honor. And it was fantastic to have him there. He did a cracking speech. He just came along and did whatever the other girls did. He did not curl his hair because he did not have enough hair to curl, but he just hang around, drank champs with us and did whatever he wanted. So the other thing was I wanted to say in connection with your story is that Dan is also a very close friend of my husband, Rich. So it was really nice that I sort of took him for the day, but also he was really there, obviously, for both of us. And in his speech, he talked a lot about us together. So it was sort of like a duo speech without him being a groomsman, if that made sense. I think it makes sense to you. We shared him 
but I took him on the day. And I'd love to know, Rachel, your plans on getting ready. Are you going to get ready together? Are you going to take your gals separately? Would there be guys there as well? Maybe you have guy friends that you want to be in the bridal party. These are the questions. Because you're not here to answer them, I'm just going to riff now and tell you what I think. I think you and Haley should sit down and work through your friendship list. I love that you have close friends that are both of your friends. That's, you know, I think that the, that's the mark of a really good relationship where you have a solid friendship group that you would say, um, samesies, they're your best friends. It really works well. But I think that in this situation that you and Haley need to sit down and say, okay, are we going to share a bridal party? Are we going to have a main crew that we uh, have as our team, as our backup singers? And if that's the case, then you can ask them together. However, if you would like your own gal pals, your own team to stand behind you, your own bridal party, and you would like to get ready separately and all that sort of stuff, then I think you need to have the discussion as to who gets who. <laughs> and this sounds this sounds probably overly complicated, but if you do have a mutual friend that you love and she loves but she can't be in two places at once. You can either ask her to come and do half a time with each of you, or maybe you can just, one of you is just going to have to claim her. That's really unfair, I know, but this poor girl cannot be in two places at once. I'd love to know about what their bridal attire is. Are you going for matchy-matchies? Are they wearing whatever the hell they want to wear? Is there a color scheme? This fascinates me. See, this is why I cannot understand why... Besides the whole equality, everyone is equal, everyone should have the right to be married and enjoy each other's love and company, not even to mention share the same legal rights uh, as Stratty 180s. But besides that, removing all the actual moral awesome stuff, just looking at vendors and going, well, you idiots, if you don't support same-sex marriage and jump on the bandwagon, you could be selling two lots of bridesmaids dresses. Uh, I mean, that's just stupid. From a financial point of view, you're dimwits. I think also, Rachel, sorry, I had to just say that. I think also, Rachel, this will also help you if you're planning to have showers, bridal showers, hens, and those sort of celebrations, bachelorettes, if you're going to do that all together or if you're going to have separate parties. It's good to know who is going with who in regards to your friendship group. As you said, if you all share the same friends, then maybe you organize big communal events. Maybe you want to organize your own Maybe you've got uh, your maid of honours or your bridal party that have decided they want to throw you separate parties. That is cool. It just means that your mutual friends will get to go to two parties, and I don't think they'll be saying sorry about that. They'll probably be loving it. Finally, when it comes to the processional or how you're going to be entering the service if you are going to be walking in together, maybe you'll be walking in with your separate bridal parties. I personally, when we got married, we didn't have people standing up behind us because we just thought, and this is an old saying, which is probably not very traditional, that we feel like sometimes when people stand behind you, and I've been that person standing behind awkwardly, you just feel like a spare dick at a wedding. So for us, it was nice. People walked in together and they sat down. We were like, don't stand in heels for half an hour. Sit down and enjoy yourself. And that worked really well for us. So I think if you were going to go down the path of having separate bridal parties or a communal bridal party for both of you and you don't want them standing up behind you or next to you during the service, give them a seat or get them to go somewhere else. (laughs) Shove them off, really. There is no pressure and this is for everyone listening. 
you don't have to have people standing up next to you. So many times you see people and they're either, you know, the bridesmaid that faints. You've, you've gone through a lot. You've put them through a lot. If they don't have to stand there the whole time, don't have them there. Or do. It's your choice. Rachel, if you would like to provide me with any more information, I'm fascinated. I know our other listeners are fascinated. I've been trying to integrate more same-sex traditions, new traditions, ideas into this show because I truly want it to be a show for everyone to listen to and learn. And I suppose the angle that I really go for, no matter who is listening, whether you're a boy or a girl and whether you're marrying a boy or a girl, I think the big thing is for you to create your own traditions because there's a lot of stuff there that's hokey and not necessary. And I'm going to be exploring further in the next couple of Q&A episodes, traditions that we can just ditch because they're shit. Traditions that we feel obliged to do because everyone else does them and I'm bored and I'm sick of it. So let's just start getting rid of some of this stuff. And what excites me so much about same-sex couples, finally, except in Australia, in a lot of big Western countries... I'm not going to list them because it's just annoying to think that some countries are still not embracing it. Pick up your game, Australia. It's great to see that same-sex couples are now choosing their own traditions, as we should be doing straight people as well, that you have your own path to follow and you shouldn't have to feel obliged to do any of this stuff. It's really a passion project of mine. I'm writing at the moment my book, um, my new book, and oof, that's a passion project, I'll tell you that. But that's one big theme of the book. It's sort of really talking about, look, I'm going to let you in. It's called Bright Chiller. There it is. But the theme of the book is talking a lot about how you use what you use in wedding planning, these skills, these life-affirming sort of moments that you can have whilst planning a wedding, how you can use those in the rest of your life. And to me, this is a really big foundation for your marriage and relationship is finding your voice and finding ways to say, no, I'm not going to do what everyone else does. No, I refuse. I'm going to say no to things. That does not suit me. I do not want to do things just because everyone else does them. And that to me is a really big thing. It took me a while to figure out. I know it's not a complicated thing. People have been saying it for fucking thousands of years. But especially in weddings, we feel a huge obligation because of media and press and photos and money. We feel an obligation to go through with this stuff, which really, 10 years down the track, you go, well, I wish I didn't do that. That's silly. There it is. A big thank you to Rachel and Annie, my super bride chillers this week. Uh, if you have a question, visit savethedatepodcast.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider leaving me a review on iTunes. It's so easy to do and uh, it's so very helpful. I love you so much. All the people have already done it. And uh, I thank you so much for listening. Until next Monday when I talk all about money, money. Happy days. Save the date wedding podcast. Don't plan your wedding without it.